0: My name is Dwight. I'm one of the pastors in Church 21. I have the opportunity and privilege to get to kind of oversee all the different locations and, uh, and then preach at a bunch of different ones. So you'll see me a, a lot uh, this fall, um, but my family primarily now is out in the West Island. Uh, we moved out there last year, uh, but really, really love downtown. We, we started the church 12 years ago, and we started downtown. And honestly, the church was started with a ton of students and um, We didn't intend for that, and yet we saw a lot of students meet Jesus. We saw a lot of students uh, become equipped and trained and sent into other places. And one of my other jobs, I get to travel across Canada to do uh, different uh, types of ministry, and I get to see so many of these former students who are leading things in their churches, uh, who have stories similar to the ones that they were experiencing here when they were in Montreal. So if you're a student and you're new, I'm so glad that you're here. It's a Labor Day uh, weekend, which means a lot of people uh, leave the city and go and do other things and this is going to be recorded. We usually record the downtown one, and so I just want to put on record for those who are not here that this is not my passive-aggressive way. Uh, let me just speak to the camera. This is not my passive-aggressive way of uh, speaking to you about not being here today. This just happened to be on the schedule, and so we're preaching it. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. Um, I want to make one note. Evan had a ton of announcements, um, and, but I just want you to hear something about that singles night. Um, Junior varsity, okay, I played sports, all right, so it's going to come out. Junior varsity is not single, and varsity is married. That's not it at all. Jesus was very single. Paul was very single. Um, lots and lots of godly men and women were single, and so as we're doing the singles event, don't hear this as being a, a, a Christian hookup thing. Uh, that's not, definitely not a hookup, all right? All uh, right. A Christian meet and greet thing like that's not just it um, but so often we don't have the opportunity uh, to meet other single people um, and so we we want to foster that and not just a downtown but from all of our different locations that that we have so um, so I'm really excited and imagine if if you do actually get married one day and, and you get to share your story of how you met it's like well it started out this evening and he stabbed me and uh, that would be awesome What a great way, right? Murder mystery. All right, let me pray, and then we'll just go. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that um, you are with us. Thank you that you are in our midst. Uh, We really need you. Um, We wanna hear the things that we wanna hear. We love to um, reject things that are difficult. We like to hold on to the worldviews that we have. And I pray that you would challenge us uh, this morning, that you would encourage us this morning, that you would speak through me and speak directly to our hearts and that we as a church would be um, stronger because of it. I pray for those who are, are not here today that if they listen to this on podcast, that they won't feel um, this passive-aggressive rebuke, but rather uh, they would grow in their understanding of what it means to be worshiping in community as well. We love you and need you, amen. All right, so uh, we're doing the last week of our our Rule of Life uh, series. This is not a rip-off from Jordan Peterson's book. This wasn't pastors sitting together saying, what's the one rule that we can put on everyone and talk about all the time? A rule of life is really like a trellis. And so if if I was 18 or 20, I would have had no idea what a trellis is. I still barely know what a trellis is. But it's something that is put up there for something to grow on. It gives form and shape to something. So you think about a vine. Uh, A vine is going to grow at our house. We have this weird tree that grows up over this strange trellis that was there when we took over the place. And so without that trellis, that, that tree, that vine would grow wild. And yet we want it, or they wanted rather, for it to have a very specific purpose. And so that trellis helped it to grow. That's what a rule of life is. It's a a way to order our lives for maximum joy and maximum effectiveness. And that's really what Jesus desires for his kingdom. And it's not a when you become an adult thing, it's a now thing. I'm doing this with my kids. I have four kids from the ages of six to 12. And we're working through rule of life stuff because my six-year-old, you know, I'm not crazy. All right? Maybe a little bit, but I want my six-year-old to have an understanding of how to order her life in such a way that she has maximum joy and maximum effectiveness within the kingdom of God. We also put together a workbook, which we don't have any more physical copies of. I think we printed out 250, way too little, but it was summertime, but you can go on to church21.ca slash ruleoflife, and it's downloadable there, Um, or you can listen to the podcast as well, but today, this is our last week. Next week, we're going to talk about sex, baby... Yep, and um, so this morning we're talking about church, worshiping in community, worshiping in community. So let me ask you a question. What did you do this week? What did you do this week? Work. Okay, worked, yeah, that's a pretty normal thing. What else? A lot. Yeah, okay, worked a lot. Good, there's a theme. All right, I can work with themes. What else? Something other than work or worked a lot? A picnic, a picnic. all right, so you ate. Was that the only time you ate this week? Okay, perfect. So eating, eating, working, sleeping. Hopefully you're sleeping. Uh, If you're in school, apparently you're going to lose a lot of sleep. Uh, If you are a new parent, you're already losing a lot of sleep, and it's okay. It'll go away someday. Uh, Not the person, the sleeplessness, okay? (laughs) Don't lose them because you're sleepy, all right? All right, uh, entertainment. You could have gone to a movie this week, gone to the theater, whatever, but it's a pretty normal week, pretty normal week. Now, did you also know this week that you were being watched and hunted? Not by the government. This isn't like a conspiracy theory church. You're just like, oh boy, how do I exit soon? Uh, But you were watched and hunted. And and it's actually very serious, it's weighty. Uh, We believe in the Bible. Um, I I became a Christian at the age of 22. I thought I I grew up going to church, um, church gatherings, and I just thought all of it was a little bit nuts. Um, and at the age of 22, I became a follower of Jesus and everything changed for me. And so if you're here and you're like, man, this is a little cuckoo, like I feel you. I, I legitimately feel and remember what it was like to be in that place. And so I'd love to talk with you more about this. And C.S. Lewis, um, I really admire him and he came to, to faith later on in, in Jesus. And he said uh, to very smart intellectual people, okay, maybe you don't believe that it's true right now, but imagine that it's true. And so as we're going through today, maybe you need to imagine that the things that we're talking about are actually legit, and what would your life look like in light of that? But let me get back to the non-government hunting of you. Um, Revelation is the last book in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, Emily, do we have Bibles back there? Yeah, thumbs up. Okay, so... It's not wrong to take a Bible as you're leaving today. You can get up and go get one right now if you want. It's our gift to you. If you take my Bible that's stealing, um, I gave another Bible away to someone last week. That was okay. But please take those Bibles in the back um, on your way up if you don't have one. But Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And I want to read a couple of verses for you. By the way, Revelation is like that apocalyptic kind of spooky book that everyone is scared of a little bit, but also intrigued by. Next year, we're going to go through it as a church starting in January. So that'll be fun. Maybe confusing, but fun. Uh, So, Revelation 13, 7 says, It was allowed. Now, he's speaking about the beast. So, we believe in a real Satan. Again, imagine if you don't believe that. We believe in a real Satan, and that Satan works through people and systems and structures. And so, that beast really represents systems and structures that are anti God. Okay? This beast was allowed to make war on the saints or the Christians. And to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before in the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. So what the author of Revelation is saying is that everyone who's not a follower of Jesus is going to worship the beast. There's no two ways around it. Uh, Bob Dylan, great theologian, said you've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. He wasn't a theologian, but he was a songwriter. Probably you're too young to even know that. That's fine. Appreciate good music. Um, but the idea is that we either serve the one that we were made to serve, or we serve something else. And this is a normal week. One of my favorite movies is uh, The Usual Suspects, and there's this quote, um, the, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And so there's this war happening. You're going about eating and picnicking and working a lot and doing all these things. That's on the surface, but there's something else going on, that there's someone playing this voyeuristic game, not through your computer, but in real life, dwelling amongst you, thinking, how can I destroy you? And Revelation like wakes us up to that, wakes us up to that reality because we forget. If you've seen Stranger Things, it's like the... That other world, right? The underworld. That there's something else going on completely at the same time. They were on to something. And this enemy, he desires to stop God's purposes. He wants to thwart what God has put into place and what God has said he's going to do. And for all of time since the beginning, this enemy has been trying to do this. But then we see in the book of Colossians, which is uh, another book in the New Testament. And by the way, if you're new to the Bible, there's this table of contents at the front. And you're like, Colossians, man, I I don't know where that is. Just go to the table of contents. It's amazing. What a gift. No one is going to judge you. And if they do judge you, it's because at one point, they had to go to the table of contents too. And they're really mature now. And they don't have to. Garbage. All right? No judgment there. All right. Colossians 2, verse 13. And you, speaking to the people of God, you, who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, well, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And here it is. Here's what I wanted to get at. He disarmed the rulers. So Satan, the beast, all the cronies, that whole posse, he disarmed, he just walks through and takes away all the AKs, all the shanks, all the machetes, everything. He takes them away He disarms the rulers' authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the enemy is trying to thwart the purposes of God and Jesus intentionally goes to the cross, dies for rebels of him, rises from the dead so that we could no longer be called rebels but family if we will submit our lives to him. We're clothed with with new garments in a sense. We have a new spirit living in us and, and Jesus is saying, enemy, they're not yours anymore, they're mine your mind but yet he still wages war against us and when Jesus won when Jesus got up out of the grave the enemy who was an accuser of the people of God who would stand before God and say look at what kind of people you have God threw him out of heaven no longer can he be there accusing us before God because the accusations all fall on Jesus that Jesus died for us of course we're bad and we're way worse than we even know But Jesus died in our place so that we could be his. That's good news. And so the enemy, he can't accuse us before God anymore because Jesus did in our place what we couldn't do for ourselves. But now the enemy turns and accuses us. He speaks to us. He makes war against us. And it's a war for worship. It's a war for worship. Everyone is a worshiper, and I'll get to that in just a second. But Revelation 13 says, verse 4, talks about the world. And when I talk about the world, I don't mean like, you know, the the mountains and land and sea. I I mean people and the systems and structures that have anti-God, not just tendencies, but desires. And so uh, in Revelation 13, verse 4, they worship the dragon, so Satan, for he had given his authority to the beast, so the systems and structures, and they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? These people actually you know, believe that, that this beast is worthy of all their worship and all their time and all their sacrifices and all their money and everything. The beasts and in, in, in Satan are really smart because it's not about uh, getting people into a room and making them sacrifice goats and throwing blood at each other and putting 666 on our foreheads and doing pentag- like That's not satanic worship. Satanic worship is worshiping anything but God. Listen to this quote by uh, David Foster Wallace. Maybe you've heard it it before. He was a brilliant mind. He was an atheist, and he he gave this. He he has since taken his life, uh, but he gave this this talk at a commencement ceremony. Imagine you're graduating. You're excited to carpe diem your life, and like, yeah, I'm going to get it, and then this guy stands up and says this. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. That's confusing because he's an atheist, right? There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. And it's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly and when the time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Look, The insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into, day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. And the world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because the world of men, women, money, and power hums along quite nicely on the fuel of fear and contempt and frustration, and craving, and the worship of self. It's a weighty, long quote. Most of you probably checked out in the first two sentences. You can look it up later. David Foster Wallace, everybody worships. And what he's describing is, is exactly what this enemy wants to do. Cause you and I to worship anything other than the one that we were made for, by, and to worship. And this, this war is, is, a, is a war of deception, lies and fear, and he wants to lure you away from Jesus, and also lure you away from the church. He wants to corner you, like lions and cats of prey do. They want to find the weakest, not person, but weakest creature, and get them away from the pack, and then devour them. They're not looking to prove anything by going after the strongest. They want to find the weakest and devour, devour them. He's like a lion that's, that's prowling to destroy us. So what do we do? What do we do? Hide? Get swords? March around the city? I'm looking for Satan. It's like, okay. What do we do? Well, the book of Romans tells us that he wants our false worship. And so the way that we fight false worship is by actually worshiping the one that we were made for and by. Listen to Romans 12, verse 1. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. We'll come to that will of God. What is good, acceptable, and perfect? So, what do we do? We don't cower back. We we worship. We don't we don't try and just stop doing bad things. We worship submitting to god's will his desires for your life is worship because let me share something with you there are lots of things that i know from god's word that i don't like in fact if if god gave me an option oh dwight you can go ahead and change this i'll give you you know a a few erasers and markers and you can rewrite things there are some things at this moment i'm like hmm maybe that's not the way i would have done it and aren't you so glad that i'm not god I'm so glad that I'm not God and that God hasn't given me that magic eraser to be able to do that. Because worshiping is saying, I am not God. I'm not capable of being God. I'm not capable of all control and power and doing that in in a great way. I don't have a perfect view over all things. I'm not outside of time. And so worshiping God is saying, okay, I don't see how all the dots connect, but I'm going to submit to you. Even the things I don't want to do, necessarily, I'm going to do because you told me this is good, right, and true, and I'm going to trust you, not myself. That's the meaning of worship. God is not this Build-A-Bear. Have you ever done Build-A-Bear? None of you will admit to it, right? Uh, My sister did this with three of my kids. Apparently, she doesn't like my fourth child, but she did it with three of my, my kids, and she started having kids at that point, so it diverted her attention apparently. But anyway, this is, I'm, I'm okay. I don't need counsel. I'm good. No. Uh, actually, my third child didn't like it, so she handed it down to the fourth. Hopefully my sister doesn't hear that either. But Build-A-Bear, okay, back to Build-A-Bear. You walk into a thing and you're like oh unicorns you know and you're like yeah yeah wouldn't that be so cool to have a unicorn bear and you like piece together this really weird bear and then they take a little heart and they put it inside the bear and it's just like wasted resource like i could have saved 10 cents if you didn't put that thing in there right but they put it in so the child thinks that the bear has a heart and it's you know it's a thing and many people do theology this way or they do the thomas jefferson version of theology where they just cut out the parts of the bible they don't like And you build this God that probably resembles more of you than anything else. This build-a-bear theology. This way to understand God. And yet, submitting to him is crucial. Submitting to who he is and what he's done is crucial. Because it's about him and his purposes, not you and your purposes. So what is his will? What is his will? And I'll be very brief about this. His will is to love God and love others. He desires that for his people that we would love him and love others, but secondly, that we would be ready to fight. If you're a pacifist, I'm so sorry. In the kingdom of God, you can't be a pacifist. That there's a fight that we're already in, and it's a fight for your hearts, and it's a fight for your minds, and it's a fight for belief, and it's not just this individualistic fight, me against this evil one. It's us against him. That we are responsible for other people as well. That some of us have an understanding of the church or being followers of Jesus is very individualistic and it's, it's me and Jesus and the church is optional and you can't read the New Testament and actually come to that conclusion. That it's us and one another and we and losing yourself for the good of other people. If you try and have a me and Jesus relationship reading the New Testament, you're gonna be deeply disappointed And yet that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you alone. He wants for you to buy into the good news, the gospel of individualism, that you can build a bear, you're God, you can be all by yourself, you can do church in a bar with two of your buddies if you want, and you're fine. You're the spiritual authority because you found a verse for that. And I use that as real-life examples that people have told me about, that that's why I don't need to be in church. I'm like, because you're getting plastered on a Saturday night talking about Jesus maybe once in a while? But the reality is, is that we are in this fight together. Paul writes, I don't have time to go through it, but in Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about this war that we're in, that it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against liberals or conservatives or NDP. It's not against Russians or Ukrainians. It's not against Americans or wherever. We're, we're not in a war against flesh and blood. We're against, uh, in a war against this very real enemy that wants to take our worship away from God. So how do we fight? We fight through worship. We fight through worship. We fight by remembering that you and I don't deserve to be in the presence of God. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You're not a precious snowflake that God is like, oh my goodness, how do I get them above everyone else into my kingdom? You and I don't deserve it, but by his mercies, Paul said, he went after you and he's rescued you. What a privilege this is. We remember this and we worship him and then we're not conformed to the image of of our culture and our society and the anti-God systems that are in place. But rather we're transformed to be more and more like Jesus. It's all about him. And his will, his intention is that we would regularly worship him as a community. That we would regularly gather as worship as a community. Not just on Sundays, but in city groups, as Evan talked about. Change groups, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. That we would be gathering together with the people of God. But why? Why would we do that? I have to study. Man, I want to take a vacation. I want to sleep in. 10.30 is early. I don't know if 10.30 is early or not anymore. Um, But I have all these things. Why? church is like a, a, a convenient thing. When it's convenient for me, I'll participate. But if it's not convenient for me, I'm going to do me. I've, I've been on social media enough. You do you. That's the mantra that I like most. And that sounds really good, honestly. And yet that's not what God has for His church. So His intention is we would regularly gather for worship as community. Why? Let me give you three reasons. And I'm going to plow through these quickly. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews is a book in the New Testament, not a coffee company. Uh, Hebrews 3, verse 12. It's going to catch up at some point. Um, so Hebrews 3, verse 12 says, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another, encourage one another, provoke one another, as long as it is called today. Today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In the beginning of that, take care. Take care is really watch out. Watch out for one another. Not in judgment like, oh, Evan, I saw what you did last week, man. That was horrible. Like, I've been watching you. Like, strange, voyeuristic type stuff. That's, that's not it. But we watch out for one another the same way a parent would watch out for their kids on a playground. When they're real young, it's like you, you have to Hover. You know, hover parenting, helicopter parenting, not necessarily great, but when they're like nine months old and learning to climb ladders, if that's what babies do at nine months old, that's what mine did. They're all crazy, and uh, I love them all. But it's like you have to hover because they're going to fall. They think they can do it, but they're going to fall. We're watching out for one another, caring for one another. You all have blind spots. I have blind spots. I don't even know what they do. Apparently, I do this a lot in preaching. And someone told me that last night. They were doing this as they were talking to me. We had amazing steaks at my house. And they were talking to me, and I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, what you do every time you preach. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that. So great. But we have fatal flaws, blind spots. And we are given a church to help us overcome those things. You're given the gift of a church to care for you, to watch out with you, to encourage you. But here's the thing. If you're going to be encouraged and, ex- and exhorted, you have to be known in the church. Uh, early on, they, this couple is not part of our church anymore uh, for good reasons, not bad, um, but they, they were part of our core team. So when we were like 12 people uh, as a church, being downtown, uh, they, they would come in, and then the church grew, and so probably when we were about 100, for some reason, they just stopped coming on a regular basis. And, uh, and her specifically, she would come maybe once every two months on a Sunday, and the greeters, they were, they were always new. And so they were like, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so. Is this your first week? And she became very offended by that. And one week came to me and said, don't people know that I was like part of the, the core group that started this church? And I'm like, but you're not anymore. You're never here. No one knows you. I said it nicer than that, right? Um, but it's like, how, how can they know what you did if you're never here? How, how can they know the things that you were involved in if you're not involved anymore? Because church is no longer on, on uh, church is really now on your terms, not on our terms. You have to be known. Because the enemy wants your heart alone. The enemy wants your heart alone. I'm watching this, this series. How many of you have seen the show Alone? Okay, like, just don't watch it because you'll want to watch the whole thing. Like all eight seasons at once, um, it's going to be horrible. But all these people are surviving somewhere in the wilderness. They can only bring so many things, and um, and this one guy in one of the seasons, I won't give anything away, but he builds all this amazing stuff. Like he's legit set up to survive there for a long de- time. And one day he says, "I miss my wife so much. I'm out of here," and he taps. And person after person after person say, I miss community, I miss community, I miss community. I wasn't made to be alone in this wilderness. The deepest introverts, survival people can only last 50-ish days in that before they start to go a little bit, right, all by themselves. And they'll say it on the camera. I'm I'm quoting their whistles, right? Uh, I'm not putting judgment on them. But the enemy wants you alone so he can devour you. And Jesus is saying, I've given you a church so that you won't be devoured. And when you feel like you're going to be devoured, there's someone next to you that's going to exhort you and build you up and remind you of who Jesus is and what he's done so that you can put to death those lies that you're constantly hearing. Our hearts need this. His intention is we would regularly worship as community for our hearts. Secondly, for our confession. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 was was read earlier for us, but let me read two of those verses. Let us consider, well, let me read three verses. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, we get to enter into the presence of God. We take that for granted, but we get to enter the presence of God and we get to enter it together. We had this thing called COVID that happened. I don't know if you experienced it outside of the city, but we had it here in Montreal anyway. I heard it went global, but uh, we couldn't be together, right? And that was the most frustrating part of all of it, I think for many people, was not being able to be with people because we were made for that. And we get to be in the presence of God together and with each other, reminding one another of what is most true. And when we come together, we get to confess False worship that we've been believing all week long, and reorient our allegiance to Him. We get to hear the Word again, and we get to respond to the Word again, not on our own, not in a podcast on a run. Though I love podcasts on my runs, there's something so much greater to that, right? Some people when they miss a Sunday gathering, they'll they'll say, "Oh, hey, I can't be there." Mom, I'm like, oh, "Okay, I don't even ask really, right?" And they're like, "I'll just catch up on the podcast." And I'm like, oh, "That's great." You're getting, you're getting the content, the intellectual content of what we're going to go through, but you're missing the experience of being gathered together as the people of God to worship God together and to begin to, to be the people, right? Some of you are very new to our community and you're like, I don't know if I want to be part of this community. This guy's talking every week, but you're exploring and, and you're learning of how we're going to be the people of God together and the word of God is received differently when we're in community than when we're just by ourselves. In fact, I preach differently when I'm with just one or two people. I don't get this excited to put a microphone on. Uh, it's, it's, it's preached different and it's received different so often. And what the word does is it provokes and it awakens stubborn hearts and lulled hearts to, to love and serve one another. And this just doesn't happen. I'm going to be like very... Uh, punchy this morning, not meaning to be aggressive, but I, I just have to make it through this stuff. This doesn't happen if we neglect gathering. If, if church gatherings and city groups and hospitality and all those things are really on your terms and they're not for anyone else, you're going to miss a significant part of Jesus. And you're going you're to convince yourself that, um, that even this community exists just for you. You're going to convince yourself that you're not needed in this community as well. Some people will say, oh, yeah, I have the podcast, and I also have friends that I meet with on a regular basis, but your friends are not necessarily the church. They might be part of the church, but uh, I got to choose my friends. I don't know about you. I don't know if your friends were chosen for you, like an arranged marriage. Your parents did arrange friends. I don't know, but I got to choose my friends and I chose friends that were like me, that liked the same things that I like, that we could do things together. And the church is not that. We, how many of you like baseball here? Okay, well, okay, I'll have one friend, brother. We can talk about baseball after, right? I'm in a predicament here, right? No one likes baseball. Okay, the church is full of people that don't like baseball, especially in Montreal. And they don't like my favorite football team, all these things. But it's not about that. It's that we've been brought together into this community that it's not about our preferences. It's about us pointing one another back to him. Podcasts and friends can't replace the church. The church is kind of weird on purpose. I remember looking at one of our first core group gatherings and I looked around the room and, you know, you say amazing things. You're like, wow, they came out Perfectly. Uh, I said, you know, I don't know if I would have chosen any of you to be in this room. And it's like, yeah, that didn't come out right. But I'm like, but God chose us all to be together. It's like, oh, yeah, like good good save. But that's true. But that's true, isn't it? That that's the church. That's the beauty of the church is that we're not a a hockey church or a cowboy church or a, you know, pants church. or Wear pants, please. Uh, But we're not, like, we don't define who we are by, by these subjective things. We are defined by Jesus. We're defined by him. The, the gospel of individualism is so rampant in, in our culture. Um, some of you can't help missing. I know some of you work on, on Sundays. Some of you are taking care of people that you have to get, get home for and, and do, do things. Um, but many of us who miss... Sunday gatherings or, or city groups or change groups. Many of you can help missing that. It's just a, a reordering of priorities. And this isn't about guilt in this moment where I'm going to like press in on that. It's about wisdom. That what will end up happening if you deprioritize the gathering of the people of God, you'll wander into a corner of unbelief and start confessing other things. And so what this takes is a reprioritization of I am part of the people of God. I am a participant of the people of God. I am a member of the people of God. In fact, my number one priority in life is not getting my degree or putting food on my table or uh, feeling good about my hobby. My number one priority is being a child of God and being a child of God means I'm part of the family of God and I need the church so much more than the things that I think I need. Do you know how many times that I don't preach that I think I need a Sunday sleep in? I think that all the time. And I get up, and I'm like, my wife's name is Jess, and I say, Jess, I don't really feel like going to the church gathering today. And I kind of look at her, waiting for her to be like, yeah, you work hard, yeah. And she's like, yeah, but we have to, we have to be a part of the people of God. Like, we need that. I'm like, I oh, know. And so as a pastor, there are times that I'm dragging myself into the gathering, knowing that this is is what my soul actually needs, and then I leave being like, I'm so glad that we were together, I got to be encouraged by this person, I got to encourage this person with this, we got to connect about this, this person became a follower of Jesus this morning, like in the back, like exciting things happen that you aren't planning, but he's orchestrating, and has been orchestrating since before the foundation of the world was actually laid, a sleep-in is not going to make you closer to God. A, and a brunch is not going to make you closer to God. Your sport is not going to make you closer to Him. An extra shift or errands or a day off or taking a break from church, right? that's the, the epic thing to hear. I'm just going to take a break from church. I'm like, what does that mean? Like I'll walk down to my family and be like, hey, I'm going to take a break from being husband and dad. I'll call you when I'm, I feel more authentic and I can do that. It's like, the, you don't get that. There are things that you need to work through, and probably you need the church more than ever. So let's work through that stuff, and it might reveal actually who or what you're worshiping. And if you're needing a break from the people of God, then you're probably not worshiping the one who's over the people of God in that moment. So what do we miss? What do we miss when we miss gathering? Well, we really miss our body. We miss our our body that God has orchestrated us in this, this very eclectic, strange body that he loves so much and that he changes our hearts to love. Like you go from being a stranger to being my brother and sister because of what Jesus has done. It's outstanding. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, it says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So you don't lose your individuality like, you know, I know that I have a, a, a fingernail on my pinky, right? I know that. It doesn't lose itself in my body. It's distinguished. It's uh, pretty short right now. I have an issue with biting my fingernails. It's kind of gross. Um, but this is, this is there, right? But yet it's part of the overall, the overall thing. Just like you, you don't lose your individuality, but you also are, are caught up into the body of, of Jesus. And you have a role in that, and sometimes you don't think that you have a role because you don't feel important, you don't feel seen. How many of you have ever seen my little my little toe on my foot? Probably none of you. <laughs> Maybe Evan, I don't know. Um <laughs> We were, just, we were just camping together, so uh, yeah, I went shoeless quite a bit, but I, I'm training for a marathon. I run a marathon a month from now, and, uh, and I was trying out new shoes, and I got these crazy blisters, three different blisters on my pinky toe, and all my friends were telling me, no, like, leave the blisters, and I'm like, yeah, but I kind of just want to cut them off, and so um, yeah, in a moment of regret, I cut off all the blisters, and there's this deep like divot in my toe. And now, I ran yesterday, and I went a good distance, and you don't know how badly I wish that I had a normal pinky toe, right? And you don't realize how important some of the members are until something is happening. I can show you a picture later if you want. We'll put it on the screen. Uh, It's really nasty. Um, It's okay, though. I didn't wear sandals this morning. But you realize how important that toe is. And when it's suffering, my whole body yesterday rearranged itself in how I, I ran so that it was caring for that little toe. And that's what the people of God do. When one member suffers, everyone suffers. And when one member rejoices, everyone rejoices. It's not just a you and Jesus thing. It's a us thing that we're all brought into together. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that you were bought with a price. You're not even your own. You think that you are your own. This isn't a political thing, but the phrase, my body, my choice, is, is so indicative of the overall, forget what it's attached to, but it's indicative of the overall uh, air that we breathe, that I can do whatever I want, and that seeps into the church. I can do whatever I want. And that's just not the way that Jesus has organized his church. You are not your own. You belong to him, and you belong to everyone else in this church. Now, that might be very exciting or very disappointing, but that's the reality. And so, what's missed when we're not together is that God has planned unique worship today, today, for you to contribute to. That church is not this mall where you come in, you're like, yeah, preaching too long, like the music, greeters were nice, coffee was pretty good, and you make your decision, your Google review, and then. You know, you move on as if that's all that God intended for you is this glorified Yelp review, right? But there's this unique participation of worship that's planned for you today. You're not coming to to be fed, you're coming to feed others. You're coming to the potluck, you're coming to the feast with something to bring. That it's not, oh, I hope that Dwight cooked up something good this week. I hope Jordan, when he talks about sex, says something that doesn't offend me too much next week. It's, what are you doing this week? What's going on in you that you're bringing to other people to encourage them, build them up, rebuke them? Oh, we don't like being rebuked, right? But rebuking is seeing something that's off that's going to lead us away from Jesus, and the rebuke is like, hey, over here, Like Jesus is far better than that thing you're running after that we don't look for places to rebuke, but when the opportunity comes, we want to do that because we want for you to see Jesus. I get rebuked all the time. Really, my friends love me so much that they rebuke me and help my eyes stay fixed on Jesus. There are also opportunities to love in supernatural ways. There's opportunities to love people that you didn't think you could actually love. What happens inside of the church, I don't know if you know, but here in Quebec, English and French, they aren't like buddy buddies all the time. And uh, what happens is the gospel destroys that wall of hostility so that English and French can be brothers and sisters and love one another and worship Jesus. Because it's not about the language or the history, it's about who Jesus is that brings us together. But yet, presence is crucial, isn't it? Um, you think about how you love people. Maybe uh, someone, has a, someone has a child. Uh, actually, Stephen and Madison Polino, who some of you know, they had their, their fourth child a few weeks ago. And, uh, and what do you do? Well, you, you send them stuff. But imagine that forever we just sent them like Uber Eats cards. And we sent them dishes that were like left on their, their doorstep, but no one actually ever showed up. They, it's kind of like the parents who have lots of money and they try and they have no time, so they try and buy the child's affection. And it's like, we gave you everything, but then that child grows up and it doesn't matter all the stuff they had, they're in counseling for many years because mom and dad were basically dead to me. Your presence is required for people to actually experience love from you and your presence is required for, for you to actually receive love love paul said to a church in thessalonica that i didn't i didn't just preach to you the gospel i gave you my heart like i gave you my life i was with you and within this body there's going to be opportunities to serve and to be served you're rescued by the spirit of god to do ministry you're all full-time ministers of the gospel if you're followers of jesus you just might say yeah, i'm a pretty broke student yeah i know probably won't be forever um, or I'm, I, I'm a mom and I'm like full-time doing that. It's like, yeah, you get to minister the gospel and disciple your, your kids and neighbors and friends. Amazing. We're all full-time ministers. And let me, let me wrap up with these few things. But worshiping in a community reminds us that, that life is not about us. When you come into a community, you're reminded that life is not about you. Life's not about you. But, you're also not alone. Life's not about you, but you're not alone. You have been given, um, you have been given millions of houses. You've been given unlimited funds. You've been given so many meals across this whole planet. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be able to go into at least much of the Western world and be able to stay almost free of charge, fully fed because of your family. How many homes I've been in over the years where I have not paid anything uh, and I've received incredible hospitality from people uh, because they knew that life's not about them and that I don't need to be alone, that they can bring me in. Remember, the enemy wants to corner you. He wants to corner you, but you were not made to be alone. And one of the ways that Jesus is going to care for you in me is through his body being moved really by his spirit to love one another. So let me let me wrap up with this. If you don't think that you need the gathered church, if you don't think you need the gathered church, then you know better than Jesus. You're smarter than Jesus. You have it figured out better than Jesus does. And I I don't know all of you very well, but I just I know that's not true. You're like, yeah, but I do like AP organic chemistry. I'm like, yeah, I know, but all that stuff was kind of created by Jesus. Actually, very much so created by him. So if you don't think you need to gather church, then you think that you know better than him. If you don't think that you're important for the church, then you think you know better than him. Now we want to figure out how do we involve everyone in our church in serving and ministering the good news of what Jesus has done to our city, to our campus, our workplaces, to our friends, but also within the church, that our church needs good news. Our church needs to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he has done So Jesus gave his body so that we might be brought into his body. And he promised, he did not promise that he'd work through your little spiritual retreat by yourself. He did not promise that he would um, work through your day off. He did not promise that he would work uh, through sleeping in, but he promised that he would work through his people. He promised that he would work through the people of God being gathered together. So don't try and get around that. Allow for your heart to be disciplined into gathering, even when you don't want to. So, last question Is there anything that needs to change regarding how you relate to the church? Is there anything that needs to change regarding how you relate to the church? Because for some, pride is going to bubble up. I'm here every week. Nothing needs to change for me. And it, these other people, you know, they need to change right? They're the ones. We can get pride, prideful from our attendance or self-sufficiency. And so do you know what your, the message is for you today? Repent, which means turn. Turn from looking in the mirror and saying, ah, oh, yes, God must love me because I do X, Y, Z. That's not why he loves you, but he does love you. And, and allow for your attendance or presence to be turned into active, serving him and, and, and allowing for you to experience much joy in him. For others, worship is just about me and Jesus. And you need to turn to his purposes for you, that it's not just about me, it's about me and others as well. Like, how do I bring goodness to other people? For others, there's guilt over your falling short. You're, you're listening to this, you're like, man, I do not... I'm not there. I'm not living this way. And you feel guilt and you're going to be overwhelmed by that. Well, let me say this. You are loved, Jesus. You were so bad that that Jesus had to die, but you're so loved that Jesus was glad to die in your place. Right? And so you're loved and he wants to wash away that guilt, especially with his presence, ministered through his people. Lastly, for those of you who are here thinking, you know, gathering is optional. Gathering only happens when it's convenient. City group only happens when it's convenient. I'll say this, and and it's hard to say this, but it's true. You're missing out on aspects of Jesus that you won't know unless you're involved. You're missing out on aspects of Jesus that you cannot know apart from being part of the people of God. And we want that for you. It's not about God dropping like little report cards to the pastors being like, uh, yep, Johnny, um, 44% attendance, like God, I would not pass him. Uh, it's, it's not that. It's that we want you to have so much joy in him. We want more joy, maximum joy, maximum effectiveness, and that's going to come through gathering partly through the gathering of the people of god so how do we respond today um well we respond by giving ourselves to jesus in worship by saying all right jesus i'm giving myself to you how do you want me to participate in your community in your church i want to get behind that not my ideas and help me help me to fight the enemy's ploy to corner me and comfort me away from jesus and we come full because we have Jesus, but we also come needy because we need more of him. And as we, we gather, we, we, we come ready to, to share and receive. So maybe today there's something that God has put on your heart that you need to share with someone else. Um, I, during our, our, our worship time and singing, I'll be in the back and so you can come back and say, hey, I really want to share this. I think that God is saying this. And I would love to hear that and, and pray with you. But as we, as we move forward in the fall, Come next Sunday, September 11th. Come ready to serve other people and care for other people and minister to other people and also to receive. And be a regular in the family of God. Be a regular in the family of God because Jesus allowed us to be that. For Jesus is in our midst. And I'm, I'm fully convinced that Jesus wants to add to his people of God in the city. That when we think about McGill, we've been praying about McGill since some of you we're, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, maybe. And uh, we've been praying for revival to take place there. We've been praying for revival to take place in downtown. We're seeing it happen in different places in the city. We went from one church downtown to four different uh, churches in, in and around the city. And we want, we want more. We want more people to know him and to enjoy him. And so God, I believe, wants to equip you and send you out into those places as well. So let me, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll respond. Jesus, thank you that you're, you're here, you're in our midst, you love us. Oh, man, you love us so much. And I'm so thankful that your love for us is not based on our performance or our attendance because uh, I, would, I would fail miserably. Thank you that your, your love uh, toward us is based on your work. Thank you that you've given your spirit to your people. And I want to pray for, for those who, who, are, who are feeling like, yes, I, I need to change the way that I engage with the the church in in worship, whether it be the Sunday or a city group or whether it be normal every day, uh, getting together with different people. Um, Would you help us to take responsibility for one another? Help us to move away from that gospel of individualism that the enemy would love for us to buy into and believe that me is most important and my time is something I have to guard uh, for myself when Jesus' time has been a gift given from you. and We don't know how much time we actually have, but help us to use all our time and money and talents uh, to have maximum joy and maximum effectiveness. We love you. and pray that many people in Montreal will come to know you. Pray your church would explode in growth. We love you so much. Amen.